Welcome to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable with your host, Mindy Harley. Warning, listening to this podcast might cause you to shatter your limited beliefs, recognize your potential and motivate you to be the best you can be. Other side effects may include, but not limited, to grabbing life by the balls, taking no crap from anyone, becoming an unstoppable force at various aha moments to get you thinking outside the box. Hello and welcome to another episode of Becoming Unfuckwithable. Hope you guys have been enjoying the episode so far. I've been really enjoying all of my guests that have been on the show. And today on episode five, I have with me Dr. Natasha Riz. She's a researcher, consultant, and educator specializing in nutrition, medical cannabis, and the endocannabinoid system. Natasha has her PhD in experimental medicine from the University of British Columbia and holds a Master of Science and a Bachelor of Science in Human Nutritional Sciences from the University of Manitoba. Natasha's got over 15 years of experience as a health and nutrition researcher, and she's also published seven first-author peer-reviewed publications, one first-author review, and co-authored eight peer-reviewed publications. And she's also an entrepreneur. She is the co-founder of Riz Remy Skincare and Therapeutics. And has a line of anti-aging and preventative skincare. So if you guys really want to learn a lot today about gut health and cannabis and nutrition, you've come to the right place. We're going to get started right now. We are speaking today with Dr. Natasha Riz. And she has studied at the University of British Columbia and has studied experimental medicine. And you know what, it's been, you know, my listeners don't know this, but you and I go way back. So when did, when was it for you that you decided that this was kind of the path that you wanted to take? Yeah, well, I like most paths, it was a bit swervy. Um, I always enjoyed biology and chemistry in high school, and cooking and nutrition was always a passion of mine, and of course, health. I was very athletic in high school, played a lot of sports, really enjoyed just the feeling of moving my body and working out, and I mean, as I see you posting a lot about health and nutrition, that was very much my frame of mind um, at that time. Um, But what I wanted to go to school with was actually to become a chef at the time. And my parents were very, (laughs) really wanted me to go to university. So (laughs) we compromised um, that I would go into nutrition. And so I was like, okay, I can study and learn about nutrition. So that's how I got into human nutritional sciences. So that was at the University of Manitoba in Winnipeg. And then um, from there... I originally wanted to be a dietitian, um, but I was a bit immature at the time and frustrated that my future patients wouldn't just do what I told them to do. So I decided that uh, the counseling aspect of being a dietitian wasn't quite for me at that time, so went more into the science realm, and I had been volunteering and working um, in various research labs and so had connections to um, connect with and also just research projects that I was interested in. So I started working with Dr. Carla Taylor and her research lab was doing stuff with diabetes and obesity 
and I was really interested in the gut, and so I wanted to work with prebiotic fibers at the time. So those are good fibers that increase the good bacteria in our gut. And since I had done some work with her, she was open to letting me uh, do some work with uh, the prebiotic fiber inulin and look at how it affected gut bacteria and um, various immune cells in the gut. Um, And then so that piqued my interest in gut health. And so that's what brought me to Vancouver uh, to the University of British Columbia for my Ph.D., in experimental medicine. So I was co-advised by Dr. Kevin Jacobson. So he's the head of pediatric gastroenterology at uh, Children's Hospital here in Vancouver. And so I got the clinical side of things. And so we were working with uh, patients with Crohn's and colitis. And then I also had a basic science advisor, uh, Dr. Valance. And so really got uh, both perspectives of basic science and the clinical side um, when looking at uh, various gut disorders such as Crohn's and colitis and inflammatory bowel disease. So for my thesis, I was working on how vitamin D affects uh, these diseases, again, looking at uh, gut inflammation and gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, while all this was going on, um, I started dating Dave. And so you know Dave. He also grew up with us. In uh, back yeah. in Manitoba, and so yeah, we he had started his master's degree at the time, and so we had connected over um, being in grad school, and ended up um, dating, and so yeah, we'd been friends since high school, and he had chronic pain issues, uh, multiple surgeries in his shoulders, and so he was using cannabis to help. Uh, relieve some of his pain and so seeing uh, the relief it had had for him and also how it had helped him reduce uh, polypharmacy and stop taking a lot of the dangerous uh, even just over-the-counter drugs he was taking like things like NSAIDs um, like ibuprofen and acetaminophen like Tylenol those can be good and effective short-term but when you have to take those long-term they can also cause gut damage and damage to your liver. And so he was looking for safer alternatives. And so that's what really introduced him to taking um, cannabis medically for pain. And then living in Vancouver, we had access to things that we didn't have access to in Manitoba. So that really opened up my eyes to what patients were using and how they were finding safer alternatives to pain relief. And so I started talking about these types of things with my research group and trying to introduce medical cannabis for gut disorders, um, especially for pain relief and helping with appetite and all these types of concerns. And so that's where I've been working since I finished my PhD, I guess about a year and a half ago, um, is trying to bring a lot of education and awareness and helping even do um, like continuing medical education type events for gastroenterologists and other healthcare providers who may have heard about cannabis and their patients are asking about it, but they don't quite get what it is or how it works. And so I help them understand the research and help them understand what it can be useful for and also what it's not useful for. And so that's what I've been doing, um, yeah, for the past year and a half and speaking at conferences and just things like that. So yeah. 
And yeah. when you're speaking at these conferences and you're, you're helping educate people, do you find that you get, you know, a little bit of resistance from people, like trying to, you know, because, I mean, there's just so much research behind it, but, I mean, there's also been, you know, so much stigma behind it as well. Do you find that people are, you know, more open to it now, or do you find that they're still kind of resisting it, or are they just happy to find relief? And then... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely all of the above. And I entered into the cannabis realm at an interesting shift when, I mean, there is still a lot of that stigma going on, but I've been, the circles and the groups that I've been presenting to, I'm actually surprised by how open everyone is. And even if someone uh, may publicly say certain things, when you talk to them, their opinion might be very different because, They've had someone in their life that has had to use cannabis to help mostly with um, symptoms from cancer therapies like chemotherapy-induced nausea and vomiting and things like appetite and pain relief and just basic comforts that um, they've seen family members or loved ones um, helped by cannabis who were suffering. And so it's made them had to change their perspective and I think with the way things are going in Canada um, with the hopes of uh, recreation recreational use of cannabis being legalized uh, next year um, things have really shifted that being said there's still a lot of resistance um, especially among medical doctors and specialists who are at really the the gatekeepers for patients to have um, access through the legal systems in Canada, which is the Mm -hmm. licensed producers. And so there's a lot, I mean, if you just are following surface news, it seems like, okay, medical's been accessible to patients in some form since 2001 in Canada um, under the old MMAR program. It's now called uh, the ACMPR program. And so um, that's what my husband Dave has been a part of, um, these various programs. And so we've followed all the different ways things have shifted and even the different court battles and different ways patients have had to um, fight for access to medical cannabis. And so a lot of people think this fight and these issues are resolved now since I mean, there is easier access for people, but there's still a lot of issues, even from, like, patients being charged um, taxes, like GST and PSD, on their medical cannabis, whereas other (laughs) medicines aren't, right? So there's still even just fights that, like, insurance coverage and even just, like, varieties of cannabis available. And, like, right now through the legal systems, patients can only access um, whole plant, like dried flour that they can vaporize or consume or make their own products at home, they're starting to introduce some oils that patients can use for oral drops or even put onto their skin. Um, but that's about it for products, whereas yeah. in the so-called like gray area, um, there's so many different products available that patients enjoy using so until the legal market catches up with the innovation of the gray market um, there's always going to be some just disconnect in what patients want and what's available to them so there's still a lot of work to do and even just with for instance I just did a 
continuing medical education in Calgary. I spoke to 30 gastroenterologists um, about medical cannabis. They invited me, and which was really, really exciting that I, I was honored to be um, there and that they wanted to hear about the potential of cannabis for patients, especially with Crohn's and colitis. Um, but even within the room, so 30 healthcare professionals who are there, there's still, none of them are currently, they don't even feel comfortable recommending cannabis to their patient. They don't understand enough about it. They don't understand how it works. And so there's a lot of fear. Um, even within the room, there was one gastroenterologist who currently um, integrated cannabis into his practice. And he was yeah. self-admittingly not knowing enough about it. And so, yeah, there's a lot of barriers. And so huh. just I see a lot of work to be done, especially with education um, yeah. for me anyway. Yeah. Do you feel like maybe that's like um like an age, you know, like that certain kind of demographic on there that still, you know, is not really, I guess, following, you know, current activities or the way things are. Maybe their, you know, their hands are still tied or they're still you know, relying on, you know, the pharmaceutical industry and, you know, prescribing these things because that's what they just feel is, they feel yeah. is tried and true, but. Yeah, and, and you bring up some good points there. Like, yes, there are pharmaceutical drugs that work for some of these patients. So, for instance, with Crohn's and colitis, um, this is inflammatory bowel disease. So these patients basically have, like, wounds covering their gut. So, and they bleed. They have chronic diarrhea, um, their quality of life can become very low when they become basically tied to their washroom and having a washroom nearby because they have accidents often. And so um, one thing cannabis can help patients with is help with the diarrhea. And so a lot of Crohn's and colitis patients use cannabis to help with diarrhea and then also help with um, appetite and increase appetite and start developing a better relationship with food because to them food means pain and so yeah. eating can become very um, difficult and so just those basic things cannabis yeah. can be very helpful but then when we look in the animal literature and the upcoming research there's also a lot of hope for cannabis helping with inflammation and actually helping modulating some of these disease processes and so I try to just even bring this this work to the attention of um, these doctors because a lot of them haven't even had anyone show them this literature because it's just like, oh, if if, if it was important, we would have known about it. And so, um, <laughs> yeah, it becomes difficult. And so a lot of these, these specialists and doctors become introduced to cannabis um, when they keep getting patients that are non-responsive to traditional therapies and find either through a friend or through some connection that cannabis works for them and then they tell their doctor about it and their doctor listens to them and so there's a lot of different steps here where things can go wrong because even a lot of doctors sometimes will fire their patients when they start using cannabis because they don't understand they think it's bad for them and so oh, really yeah and so patients often don't tell their doctor. And so there's even some studies showing that, like, of patients with, for instance, Crohn's and colitis, who use cannabis, up to 70% of them have never even told their gastroenterologist or their primary health provider that they're using cannabis. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, 
it's 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 a very difficult um difficult topic well and then we, you're like using our, maybe if their symptoms are doing good and everything and it's like oh wow well i guess the medication's working <laughs> it's like well it's exactly exactly cannabis. and so yeah there's still a lot of barriers and i mean even when i was doing this this medical education like there's still a lot of jokes and like stoner jokes and things being cracked like it's not being taken seriously um but hopefully that's shifting and it's shifting because patients are are talking about it um so there's this uh crohn's and colitis activist uh, named colton turner in the states um he's in colorado right now and him and his mom wendy turner are doing a fabulous job of going out there and just talking about their experience so colton had um, crohn's disease very seriously and was wheelchair bound just had a low quality of life and out of desperation they found that cannabis worked for him he uses it edibly so in a pill form uh, he uses equal amounts of thc and cbd and he's been on it for the last two years um, and in remission and really has managed to keep a lot of his symptoms under control and so they've done a lot to help educate even just other patients, um, other healthcare providers about his experience. And yeah. so, and, and I mean, they're great public speakers. They've they've just done a lot to help bring attention to these issues. And so one of the patients that they've helped, um, we wrote a case report about his situation. And um, in this situation, it was similar to Colton, um, had mm-hmm. failed multiple drugs, including uh, TNF alpha blockers. So those are drugs that are often used in a lot of autoimmune diseases, such as multiple sclerosis, arthritis, and Crohn's and colitis, to target inflammation. Yeah. And they work well for a lot of patients. Uh, they can have a lot of side effects, um, but unfortunately, some patients just don't respond to them at all. And so, what do they do with these patients? And so. A lot of these patients are finding that cannabis can help uh, with some of their symptoms or can also be used together with their TNF-alpha blockers to make it work better. And so more research is needed. Um, So we just wrote a case report. Uh, So we're hoping to bring more awareness to this, um, especially for these pediatric or uh, children-type cases where they're really in a tough spot and if we can uh, just help doctors find some more alternatives to help these patients find relief, um, that's what really drives us and, uh, yeah, keeps us going. Yeah. Huh. See, because, yeah, that, this is really, I mean, I I know that it can help, like, so many conditions, but especially with Crohn's, you know, that is something that my father-in-law suffers from and, you know, here in Nebraska, you know, it's a little bit different. Like the bill to legalize mar- medical marijuana uh, went to the legislature floor back in May, although I don't know what the outcome of that was. But I mean, there's just, I feel like Nebraska might be like one of the last states to um, even even go recreational. But I mean, it's such a, it's such a long, long road to that process. And it's just like to understand even with, you know, you're saying with Colton uh, Turner, you know, how much it's helped him. And, you know, like, wow, you just want that so bad for one of your family members. And Yeah, yeah just, and it, it's important to note that it's not a cure. It's 
it helps with symptom management. Yeah. Um, and so, but that that's huge, and it can also reduce polypharmacy, so it can reduce other drugs that are needed um, for things like nausea and appetite and constipation and diarrhea. So cannabis can do a lot of different things depending on how it's used. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how cannabis actually works in our body and bring up um, the endocannabinoid system. So are you very are you familiar with um, the system in our body? Just well, I'm not uh, I'm not going to be claiming to be a pro here, but I do understand a little bit. So <laughs> just but yeah, you've heard about yeah, it. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. So even within when I talk to a lot of doctors, they haven't heard about the system and. There was even a survey done a few years ago where they looked at uh, accredited medical schools in the U.S. and found that only 13% were actually teaching about this system to doctors. So um, the endocannabinoid system is found all throughout our body, and it is composed of receptors that can uh, recognize and interact with compounds found in the cannabis plant. Um, So these include uh, the CB1 receptor and the CB2 receptor. So the CB1 receptor is found mostly in our brain and nervous system um, and also throughout our body. And then the CB2 receptor is mostly found on um, immune cells, the cells that play a role in inflammation, and also found um, lining the cells of our gut and also on our skin cells. So these receptors don't just recognize cannabis, they recognize other compounds, um, including things that our body naturally makes. So the one compound I'll talk about is called anandamide, um, and it's named after um, bliss or anan. how is it? Um, but anyway, it means bliss is how it's been named after. Okay. And it's, it's basically referred to as our body's own THC because it works similarly to um, THC, which is the active compound, one of the active compounds in the plant cannabis. So our body naturally makes anandamide, um, and it, it makes it on demand in the, the lipid layers, so the fatty layers of our cells, and it makes it um, on demand as we need it, and it's broken down really quickly, and it's made from little fatty acids, including uh, arachidonic acid, which is an N6 fatty acid, so you need to make sure you're getting enough essential fatty acids in your diet to actually make these little compounds. Um, but what anandamide does is it works through the CB1 and the CB2 receptors, which are found all throughout our body, and it plays a role in many different things, including appetite, body weight, mood, um, inflammation, and all kinds of things. And so when the system is working properly, uh, people are said to be their anxiety and their stress levels are generally um, more in alignment. And when the system becomes dysfunctional, um, it can be connected with diseases. So Dr. Ethan Russo has a theory of clinical endocannabinoid deficiency. So what this means is there's certain parts of the system that aren't working properly. So maybe you're not making enough of an andamide, or it's not being broken down properly, or your receptors aren't working properly, or any of the above or any combination. Um, and so his theories are that when the system isn't working properly, you're you're more susceptible to certain diseases. 
Um, so diseases such as fibromyalgia, um, irritable bowel syndrome. So irritable bowel syndrome is different than inflammatory bowel disease. This is more of a functional disorder where um, there's cramping and also severe gut pain, but there isn't necessarily um, the inflammation or um, the ulcer formation that you would get with inflammatory bowel disease. But anyway, um, uh, endocannabinoid deficiency syndromes are associated with uh, also chronic headache syndromes. And so patients who have these conditions tend to respond very well to uh, the cannabis plant. And so it's thought that perhaps they have these underlying issues where their own natural system isn't working very well. So they need external uh, stimulation of this system uh, through either the cannabis plant or other things. So yeah. the endocannabinoid system can also be activated through exercise and through things like acupuncture. Um, and there's been quite a few uh, research trials looking at this where just by like acupuncture, putting the needles into certain parts of the body has been shown to increase anandamide levels. And so that might be part of the mechanism of how uh, acupuncture actually works is by modulating hmm. our endocannabinoid system. So going back to exercise, this is really cool. So there's actually a few different studies showing that uh, exercise, such as running for 30 minutes, um, can boost your endocannabinoid system and boost your serum levels of anandamide. So that's that feel-good uh, compound that also plays a role in pain relief and appetite suppression, um, all kinds of things. And so the traditional like runner's high um, that used to be uh, attributed to beta morphine and or sorry endorphins um, is actually thought to be due to anandamide um, and it, how it activates our endocannabinoid system. And huh. the reason why researchers think it's more attributed to anandamide is because uh, anandamide, when it's released systemically, can actually cross the blood-brain barrier and get into your brain whereas a lot of the endorphins that are released systemically, they play a role in, of course, like pain suppression, all kinds of things, but they're not necessarily crossing the blood-brain barrier to give you that euphoria. And so yeah. that's, that's pretty cool. But the studies huh. are cool because they show that walking for 30 minutes doesn't have the same effect. You have to at least do jogging or some type of, type of exertion. So yeah, a little bit there's one for, yeah. And so even like I notice when I do, like I'm feeling kind of my thinking gets foggy or I'm having a hard time, um, just my mood's not the best. I find even just like doing a quick burst of like exercise really boosts um, all those things. And I'm sure you know a lot more yeah. about that than I do. That's, that's your livelihood. But uh yeah, so now you can say, hey, you're boosting your endocannabinoid system when you exercise. Yeah. Well, that's yeah, that was kind of funny, too, because yesterday we were actually talking about, um, you know, with the gym that my husband and his business partner own and stuff, and there's always um, one gentleman in there, and he just, just loves to run. He just loves to run. And we're like, yeah, the runner's high, and da 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 you know, and now it's this, like you're saying, it's this new information on that, that it's not actually, you know, um, you're saying like the... I, I'm not gonna. I can't pronounce it right, <laughs> but uh, I think it's beta endorphin is the main. Beta endorphin. Yeah. So 
yeah, now it's going to be new information to, to tell these guys that, hey, do you know what? And I mean, Actually, the, our endorphins, yeah, and like our endorphins are still playing a role, but um, this anandamide is also playing a role. So yeah. it's all these things, exercise, so good for us. <laughs> yeah. So how how often do you think you get to the gym? <laughs> oh, I'm bad. Yeah, so I do more like little workouts built into my day. So ideally, I mean, some days I'm not as good as other days, but what I try to do is um, we live right by this really nice little park. And so I'll do like a morning little just energizing little run, kind of try to get everything moving Um, just to get outside. Even I find just being in the sun and in the nature uh, of the forest really gives me just like a nice mood elevation and a calmness um, to help me face my day. And then I noticed that like this morning I didn't have a chance to do it. And even like, so what I did is before I came onto our phone call, I went and I just like ran up and down the stairs a few times um, in our uh, building complex and did uh, just various, like like counted to a hundred and did jumps. Cause I find yeah. even just those quick bursts of energy are just, it gives me more energy and really boosts my mood. Um, and then uh, one of my friends, actually from Winnipeg, we did our nutrition school together, and she lives in Vancouver also. Uh, we like to do forest runs on the weekends, and so we're okay. super fortunate to be close to these amazing forests and large trees here in Vancouver, and so we'll go either running um, in Spirit Pacific Park at UBC or we'll go to uh, Stanley Park and just do a really nice long run, uh, like an hour-long run and just get up in the forest and do our girl talk and yeah, <laughs> you know, dump our, our, uh, our crap for the week. And But really doing that, even just when I don't have time to do little workouts throughout the day, Doing that one big run um, is really important to keeping my my week on track. And then uh, just various little, like, I love going in the park and doing, um, like, I I don't do so much weights anymore. I try to do more exercise that is using my environment. So, for instance, I'll do, like, push-ups on the ground or burpees. Or I really like doing uh, like up and down hills or doing some of the jump training exercises where you swing your arms and you jump as far as you can, like kind of leapfrogging. Yeah. I find that exercise is amazing just for getting everything flowing. And then, (laughs) yeah, and then doing jumps up on um, the benches, like I'll do sets of 10 and like I'll try to do uh, high impact exercise. But I also have to be careful because when you when you don't exercise for a while and you go right into that high impact exercise, um, you can actually cause gut barrier damage. And so I'm always oh, really? reading a lot about yeah gut issues. And so even for people who have um, gut problems and get back into exercise, go gentle because yeah. doing quick um, exercise like where you're using a lot of movement and like jumping especially. Um, just do a few jumps. Maybe don't go until you feel gut pain or gut tearing because yeah. that can cause uh, 
gut barrier damage. And it's interesting because there's been some studies showing that that can be compounded if you take NSAIDs. And so a lot of athletes will take um, over-the-counter pain relievers to help with some of that pain or overactive inflammation. Um, And so if they're taking that with um, heavy exercise, that can cause more damage. And then I've also seen there's these trends for doing these like um, uh, marathons where you drink beer uh, throughout the, the marathon and whatever. That's that's fun and fun. But if you have gut issues, <laughs> that's, that compounds the damage even more. So it's like oh alcohol plus NSAIDs and then heavy exercise all together. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, be careful. <laughs> that sounds like a bad time. <laughs> well, I don't know if sounds you, like a you've good been time, following. Kind of, but you're yeah. like screaming at you. Yeah, and I mean, I used to do like play softball and like I love team sports and team bonding and going for a beer after. It's all fun, but just be careful if you've got it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, I don't know if you've been following like how a lot of athletes are using um, CBD, so cannabidiol. That's the non-intoxicating um, compound in cannabis. So yeah. there's also a lot of press about CBD for um, seizures and epilepsy for pediatrics, um, for children with difficult-to-treat epilepsy conditions. And so there's some really good work coming out. Um, but an interesting trend is athletes also using uh, CBD to help with overactive inflammation and some of their recovery because it's not intoxicating, so they can use it during the day for their workouts. And then they can oh. also use, um, like, topical uh, CBD and THC to help with um, especially joint pain, like knee pain yeah. and all kinds of like overuse injuries. And again, they can put it on uh, topically, so on their skin, and not have to worry about having any of the psychoactive effects um, of THC. And I mean, they can also use um, THC-rich products orally um, if they're looking for that type of experience. But um, for daytime use, a lot of people prefer... uh, more of the CBD-rich uh, types of cannabis or even just CBD products on their own. Um, and they're really effective for inflammation and just exercise-type pain, which is pretty yeah. interesting. Huh, that's pretty interesting. So what you're trying to tell me is that I should probably kick my Advil habit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or even well, other other ways, like um, there's other pain relievers, like fish oil, um, all kinds of different things you can take. I can send you a list of some of the stuff uh, Dave takes to keep his shoulder uh, pain under control. And if he strays from his list, he starts getting uh, symptoms, especially in his shoulders. Huh. So, Yeah, that'd be yeah. great. See, but mine, like I always suffer, and it's, um, it's actually a chiropractor asked me this years ago, and I didn't really put the two and two together, but I always experienced really bad tension in my neck and my traps and stuff. And that's yeah. brought on with every, like, with my PMS. So every month. Uh, and it sure. is, yeah. you know, it's debilitating. And, you know, the other thing that, like, I'm my parents bring me over the extra strength Advil from Canada because you can't get that here. And I don't know if it's a placebo <laughs> effect. Like, taking two regular Advils here just doesn't seem to work. Taking one of those little golden yellow footballs of goodness 
seems to help. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and my mom yeah. was like, she's and like, you know, that stuff isn't good on your stomach. So I was like, it's the only thing no. that's working for me. Yeah, and it can have like when you're starting to take high doses. That's that's what first um, made us uh, rethink how Dave was taking care of his shoulder pain because once you start taking higher dose of these compounds, they can cause a lot of damage, um, even with your liver and your heart. Um, like they're good for short-term use, but yeah, you got to be careful. So even looking so once into a, how once a month, get, I probably pop in like four of those a couple like every other day yeah and even like the risk of um like acetaminophen is the number one cause of acute liver failure and the amount of liver i think it's like five thousand milligrams whereas like the amount you need for an effective dose to the amount that can be toxic the window is quite small so yeah. yeah, you should check out the doses you're taking and just kind of see. Um, and even maybe you still <laughs> need a little bit, but you could use other compounds to maybe reduce reduce the dose. Do you ever try things like lavender or other topicals? No, like I haven't. Peppermint or spearmint. Yeah, well, so like I've got I've got like lavender. Well, it's blended with something else. Got lavender is blended with something else, and I've got a peppermint that's blended with something else. It's one of the roll-ons from Sage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how does that yeah. work for you? Uh, you know, I usually put it on right before bed, so I'm usually knocked out by the time I can really... Maybe I'll have to try it during the day and see how that works. Yeah, and so we're making, um, like with our, our skincare company, with our Riz Remy brand, we've been working on uh, various pain blends Um and so our our thing is we're developing these pain blends that can be worn during the day and that also smell really nice. So, because mm. that's an issue with a lot of um, traditional pain blends is they work well, but you don't necessarily want to smell really strongly like peppermint or like you might want a mild yeah. amount of it. But when you're out and about, <laughs> I know a lot of the <laughs> stuff I make for my mom, um, it works awesome at night, but she's like, I can't wear it during the day. I, I, I smell too strongly. So, yeah, some of the blends um, we've been working on uh, are just exactly for that, even for uh, during PMS and things like headaches that come up and even for sore feet where you need something. You've been wearing heels all day and your arches are just killing you and you just need something to roll on there that um, can help you basically finish your day. Um, And so just through our... I mean, even my personal experiences with pain and Dave's experiences with pain. And my mom also has a lot of uh, foot issues uh, where she gets even tingling and burning sensations in her feet. And just they've really inspired me to just find ways to do pain relief, um, of course, with cannabis, um, but also without cannabis. And a lot of our blends are designed to target the endocannabinoid system. So the system that cannabis works through, there's other plants that can target the system um, and work complementary with cannabis um, or also, I wouldn't say as a replacement, but um, can do some of the things that cannabis can do, but definitely not all of them. Um, but yeah, send me your address and I'll send you some of these things to try. Uh, oh, I'd love to, to. Use. yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm all about that kind of stuff. And, and I know my cat definitely appreciates 
appreciates when I wear the peppermint oil. <laughs> but, um, I mean, yeah, I, I think, you know, my eyes have been getting a little bit more opened up, um, you know, every every couple months here with something new that I'm learning. And, you know, especially with, you know, whether it's eating a little bit better, you know, understanding, you know, um, benefits of cannabis more, you know, just because I'm pro, you know, I'm pro cannabis, you know, for know like health and for people to you know control their symptoms and everything and you know i mean as far as recreational like yeah like that too so i mean i'm all about that and as far as like the oils too like i've always kind of dabbled in it but i haven't been able to kind of fully commit to understanding you know how everything works in that regard as well so i'm glad to note that i was on the right path with the lavender and the peppermint but (laughs) yeah for sure no and all these there's a lot of plants that can help with pain even um have you experimented at all with uh like capsaicin like chili pepper or any of the warming type no. ones no yeah there's some really good uh clinical work done with uh low doses of capsaicin so to the point like the dosage in some people you wouldn't even feel any burning like yeah. one of the blends I make for my mom she doesn't feel anything and she she wants something stronger whereas yeah. <laughs> With the the chili oil blends I make for my grandma, she finds that same dose is just like her legs are on fire, like it's uncomfortable. So it's quite interesting um, how people respond differently to different plants. And so like uh, capsaicin is an interesting one also. It works through our TRPV1 receptors. So these are receptors that are found all over our skin, all over our gastrointestinal tract, all over our tongue, and it's what gives us the sensation of the burning when we eat uh, anything spicy. Mm. And so these receptors not only give us the sensation of warming or spiciness, they also play a role in pain relief. And so these these are targets um, that are used in drug development to help develop uh, pain-relieving compounds. And uh, cannabinoids, compounds in cannabis, can also act through these receptors also. And so CBD can work through our TRPV1 receptor, but it doesn't cause any burning. So it's being really sought after as a pain reliever um, that doesn't have necessarily burning or cooling effects but can have kind of these like you don't even notice it's there but it's it's working yeah um but yeah i i also like the traditional warming and cooling type sensations of pain relievers so and yeah you might want to try capsaicin it's really really nice especially for uh neck pain and when you're feeling really tense um, because the peppermint, I find, is really, really great for headache relief and um, sore feet and even just giving you that nice, uh, refreshing sensation in the morning to help you feel more alert. Yeah. But uh, for back pain, I find the warming blends are very, very soothing and um, just because sometimes, you know, when you, you at the end of the day, you want to crawl into bed and your back is just like feels like it's aching. Uh, the warming can kind of uh, just make that sensation feel almost like you're in a bathtub or having a nice hug or just that feeling that someone's taking care of you. Ooh, that sounds amazing. Very nice. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, yeah, I'll send you you some warming and cooling blends and you can uh, experiment with them. 
Um, yeah. So, I mean, we, we talked obviously a little bit here with, you know, you know, the, like the skin, like the skincare, but not quite the skincare. We talked about you know, the other lines with like the oils and everything, but you and your husband started Riz Remy Organic Skincare. Um, how long ago was this? Because I, I saw, I saw you making posts about this for a little while. So how long has it been since you guys started that? So we officially like registered our company in 2015, so October 2015. Um, and so, but we've been developing blends. I mean, prior to that, pretty much all throughout. It's even hard to say when I started because yeah. a lot of a lot of uh, my skills were taken from my love of cooking and my background in food. And so even throughout university, I was teaching um, like labs and courses on uh, the principles behind cooking. So the scientific principles behind cooking and just different ways of how to make formulas. And so I wouldn't be able to make the skincare formulas I can without that background knowledge. So it's, it's Kind of like when did it start? I don't know. <laughs> With me yeah. and Francine making and Brina making our own concoctions with you know stuff we'd find on the farm, <laughs> dirt and lettuce and things grown in the garden and you know <laughs> maybe yeah. that's when it started. <laughs> totally. But yeah, no, I've I've always had a, a fascination with um, homemade beauty and just even clay masks and uh, Epsom salt baths and and I mean that that came from my grandma uh who's still alive she's 96 years old and she was always making me yeah and and she was always making me um like blends with honey and garlic and different things for when I had sore throats and so she always showed me these interesting ways um to feel better with these little concoctions and so I'd say that really inspired me and also my mom and dad were always making things on the farm with, I don't know, just various concoctions and cooking. And so, yeah, yeah. I had a lot of experience with just plants. And, I mean, we grew up on a farm in pretty isolated. Yeah. Our closest <laughs> neighbor was half a mile away. So I've always felt connected to plants and seeing things grow and playing around in the in the garden and yeah. playing with different herbs and yeah, so I guess once I started officially making formulas that intended for skincare, um, really started during my PhD training. And just, again, as I was making things for uh, my husband Dave, I started making pain blends for him. And then just that kind of evolved into making my own beauty blends. And then I started making them for friends in the lab. And it was a fun time because everyone was, I was surrounded by bacteria experts and skin barrier experts and people who had expertise with areas that I just had some surface knowledge of. And so I could really learn more about different ways that plants could um, target various pathways and be used effectively for not only beauty, but also pain relief and um, all kinds of different things like wound care and so yeah, it just oh, wow. it it fascinated me, and and as I looked more into the literature, I saw there was a lot of um, at least preliminary work done in animal experiments um, that showed a lot of uh, potential for different plant compounds 
um, to be used in these ways. And so that really, just my love of cooking and recipe developments and my curiosity for all these different plant compounds all kind of came together and I started making blends. And I mean, my mom and my friends didn't, <laughs> they weren't the easiest audience to please. So <laughs> they seriously, like the first probably 10 things they tried was like, oh, that, that's nice, but I'm not going <laughs> to use it. Right. So, and I, I'm stubborn. No, so, like, let me just put yeah. that in the cabinet. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then I, I would be visiting them and I would go look and I'd be like, damn, they haven't even used it. They didn't even crack the lid or so it was, it was always fascinating to me of like, how do I get people to actually try the thing that I made for them? And yeah, um, Dave has a background in business. And so he, um, obviously played a large role in helping me understand how to make packaging and how to tell a story and how to um, put things together in a way that was intriguing to people. And so it's been a long uh, process of trying to put this all together, but I mean, yeah. I, I love learning and I, I love, I love like, like I've been loving watching your journey also because you're, learning all these different ways uh, of telling your story and telling your message and, you know, learning how to make websites and do podcasts and all these things. <laughs> yeah. and you really have to be a jack of all trades to to pursue your own dream. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, we do. We do got to be the jack of, Jane, jack of all trades, Jane of all trades. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and, right. Yeah. And yeah, and especially because I was going to ask too, like, is it like, um, like, what's been one of the most challenging, like, things for you to kind of, is there anything that let's, you know, on the business side of things where you've been like, okay, like, you know, Dave, you just need to like take the reins on this or, has, you know, or yeah. have you been like, no, like, let me, let me figure this out. Like I want to, I need to figure this out. Yeah. It's, it's a mix of things. And, and that's interesting you bring that up because yeah, when you have a vision for something, sometimes you're just like, you become almost like selfish with your vision and you don't, you don't, you're protective of it. You don't want to share it with anyone um, yeah. because if you share it too early, they can they can crush it. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so sometimes you're 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 scared to share an idea, but then sometimes if you don't share it, like if you don't share and bring more people in, um, it doesn't happen either. So you have to find that balance of like when do you jump, when do you introduce something, and I'd say that the biggest challenge for people. Um, is like learning how to ego drop and learning how to be comfortable with no one paying attention to you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like if you put something out and you get zero comments, zero likes, zero shares, be comfortable in that. Yeah. And then just keep trying and then put yeah. out something else. And it's like it's like building an audience and is is very um, rewarding and time consuming and it's 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 a lot. Like you have to learn how to tell a story you have to learn how to put yourself out there and then you have to also be okay with like hey i'm having a bad day and i i just don't feel like putting my face out there and being okay with just like not and like yeah. staying in that day because sometimes you can wear yourself too thin by trying to please everybody trying to do too many things and it's just and then you end up doing nothing like it's just you get kind of stuck and i mean i we ebb and flow with trying to, okay, we're just going to get these things and this message and focus on this. And then sometimes you just get overwhelmed by, like, 
so many opportunities. So you're like, okay, we're going to try to do all these things. And then <laughs> you got to say, oh, we can only pick a few. So yeah, yeah. that ebb and flow of like, yeah. And, and I mean, <laughs> tips you have are welcomed also. <laughs> we're yeah, still no, absolutely. learning all the time. And, Take a look. But I mean, yeah. But yeah, I yeah. think, I think a big thing is like, finding your people, your core team that you really trust. And I mean, you're lucky also, you and your partner um, provide a lot of support and encouragement for each other. And that's huge. Like, I can't imagine doing this on my own. Um, yeah. Like, you need someone to bounce ideas off of and, and even, like, check you and say, like, mm, no, maybe not. Maybe <laughs> yeah. <not> that. <laughs> um, yeah. Reel that back in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love you, honey, but nope. nope yeah. Maybe not. Maybe don't no. say that. <laughs> totally. No, yeah, I totally got that, too. And, I mean, yeah, and it's understanding, too, like, you know, like, delegate, you know, focus on your strengths and delegate where, you know, you're lacking in and let those that, you know, shine in that area, you know, take control and lead the way. And, I mean, it leaves you more time to be productive and focus on, you know, what what you're good at and how you can, you know, drive the company further for sure. Yeah, and it's, I mean, we we learned, we do everything and, like, we're just starting to get to a, a level where we can start um, bringing in more people and, like, delegating tasks, but, like, learning how to build a website and learning how to do all your social media and learning how to even deal with shipping issues and customer relations and all of these things you think are like just whatever you'll figure that out as you go but wow as you start doing them you you and even like crafting a message and like how to do like the design and make make like um like choosing what font to use (laughs) like yeah all of these things the font you don't copy Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's an immense amount of work and like and uh people you always think like, Oh, if I knew what I knew now, would you do would you do all of it? And you're kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like and of course you would, but like I think yeah. learning like having that experience of learning the basics of all these things, um, has been awesome because it also really makes me value people who can work in all these different areas and it helps me identify people I want to work with. Um, whereas mm-hmm. before you kind of just like, you assume everything is easy. Like you're like, Oh, you just put something up on social media and everyone will care. <laughs> oh, yeah. you, just, you just tug your network and you tell everyone you have a new product and everyone's going to care. And then you realize really quickly, like, Oh, like your friends and your family and your network, those aren't necessarily your clients. That That's no. different. Yeah. yeah, and if you're it's, trying to put a message to everyone, you're really not speaking to anyone. So it's it's like learning all these like, and I mean we're still learning all the time. Like I, I we're babies, so we're still we have so much to learn. Well, even um, still, you're always, yeah. always learning. You know, it's like it, every day. I mean, you're you know you're learning will never will never stop. And I mean that's a good thing, right? There's always something new it, to learn. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. And and that's the thing, like, I, I love learning, and, and that's what makes me excited to continue on in entrepreneurship is just, I mean, you have to learn. You have to learn, and you have to love learning. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, it's it has, I mean, you guys have gotten, you know, attention. You guys did, you guys were featured in, like, which magazine was that? 
Too. Yeah, so we had a nice little spot in uh, L, the L magazine, but the UK edition, and yeah. so that was that was really like, wow, okay, we're doing something something good here. When I mean, we're getting recognized from people across the pond. <laughs> yeah, and like, um, and that that's was a big uh, point of how Dave put together a lot of our imagery was um, like, we're so lucky to live in Vancouver and even, I mean, we grew up together in the prairies and I mean, I love the prairies. It's got a special place in my heart, but the eye candy in Vancouver is just phenomenal. So even like I, I, I want to do more and bring more of the sights and sounds of Vancouver to people. Cause even like with our forest runs and these, just oh it's just it's so even just like watching the video of going through these forests with these beautiful trees is like so soothing it's just it's just we're lucky to experience this and so anyway we've used a lot of this imagery um to help people understand some of what our branding is and i mean vancouver when people think of vancouver they think of like plants and organic and people who lemon. Just care <laughs> the environment yeah lemon and all these like and so we want when people think of like our brand is also to think of like things of that nature especially yeah. like whole plants and like using um just ingredients that are made with integrity and yeah so that's yeah a lot of what we that's try awesome. to try to do yeah i mean i think you guys are obviously on the right path i mean it's it can feel like you want you know everything to happen you know tomorrow with like 10 magazine features and you know you're a household name but i mean it's like you just got to keep in keep putting in the work every day and you know eventually it'll happen as long as it's, you know one foot in front of the other and keep building and growing and learning so i think you guys will i think you guys will get there for sure i'm excited for you <laughs> thank you yeah my thing is like like i love making products like i love i just i have so many notebooks just filled with ideas and blends and things and and for a variety of things like even with our facial line um so we have three products out right now we have our day bomb concentrate which um, is really nice, especially for summer, because it has zinc oxide, so it provides some SPF protection from the sun. And unlike chemical blockers, zinc oxide is a physical blocker, so it doesn't uh, cause issues with absorption. Yeah. And um, we also have our facial oil, and we also have a, a honey cleanser. Um, but like our full line, we have 10 products, and so we have other products that... Um, I mean, our customers, I always provide gifts and little treats of upcoming blends. For instance, we have like a really nice, um, like a seaweed mask and we've got a nice clay mask and um, even like a lip balm I make that, I mean, I've been using myself for about two years now and giving out to friends and family, but we still haven't gotten to the point of of, um, selling it through our channels at this point. Um, but yeah, so we've got just within our facial line, 10 products that are coming. And then 
we've been developing these, like I was talking about these different um, massage and pain oils that Mm -hmm. can be worn throughout the day and have a really nice, almost like perfume-like aroma. And then, yeah, so we've, uh, I mean, (laughs) like even in our family, we've had, uh, whenever someone has a baby or there's a newborn in the family, I also put together a really nice gift set with all of my baby blends. Um, which is like uh, a nice, um, like a bottom butter for babies who get uh, diaper rash and issues on their bum. Yeah. <laughs> and even, yeah, like my, uh, one of my nieces, she knew who I was just because of the diaper balm I had made her and because it had helped her, her bum heal. <laughs> <laughs> she knew who I was because I had made her the balm. And so, yeah, we've got all these other just like amazing products that um, we hope to share someday. So that's that's yeah. where my heart is. And so sometimes it's hard just focusing on keeping up with the products we have right now and getting them well-established, which, I mean, every time you release a new product or something new, it's, it needs a lot of love and care and support. And so, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. Ah, awesome. So what's the website then? Oh, so our our website is uh, rizremi.com, R-Y-Z-R-E-M-I. So the name is a blend of uh, my name, uh, Natasha Riz, and my husband's last name, uh, Remiard. So we've taken the Riz and the Remy. Yeah. And basically, it's it's our baby. Oh. So, yeah. But, well, cool. I'll make sure to uh, include that there in the... Um on the social media posts and stuff so everyone can check that out too but um yeah before we wrap this up um we were also talking about gut health and you know there was a big focus you know with the cannabis and the gut health but for those people who maybe can't access um cannabis what are you know a couple things at home that they can do to promote uh, or eat or drink to promote better gut health Yeah, so there's quite a few things that uh, people can do to help their gut. Um, I kind of think of it through a few different ways. So one is you want to think of the barrier, your gut barrier integrity. So we talked a little bit about some things that can damage this gut, the gut barrier, um, like alcohol, uh, NSAID use, um, also heavy exercise. But some things that can help protect your gut barrier um, are uh, like eating a healthy diet, having healthy fibers, um, even like having a healthy supply of butyrate in your diet. So again, that's from healthy bacteria that make these nutrients. So having yeah. uh, good bacteria in your gut is very important. So taking probiotic bacteria or personally, I really like uh, drinking kombucha. That's a fermented tea. And I just find kombucha, um, for me, it just works the fastest. Like even if, like I don't drink alcohol that often, but when I do, I just find my stomach is very sensitive to it now. As I get older. (laughs) So (laughs) even if I drink alcohol, like, if I have a, t- a glass of wine with dinner, I'll try to have kombucha after, um, and I find that it really helps my gut feel better the next day. So that's a really important one. 
Um, and so, yeah, so you want to think of the gut barrier, you want to think of the gut bacteria, and you want to think of um, inflammation in the gut. So ways to reduce inflammation and nutrients that can um, help support that. So you want to make sure you're getting enough vitamin D, you want to make sure you're getting enough uh, magnesium, um, fish oil is important, like especially your essential fatty acids. Um, you even may need to make sure you have enough essential fatty acids to make your um, endocannabinoids, like I was talking about before, like an andamide. Yeah. So don't be scared of fat. A lot of people get mistaken that fat makes you fat. It does not. I mean, avoid um, hydrogenated fats, absolutely, but even like butter is okay. Just eat real fats. Eat plant yeah. fats. Um, coconut oil is right. Yeah, coconut oil is great. Um, some people who are are very sensitive to coconut oil, though, and oh. I've just had many patients tell me, especially with Crohn's and colitis, that sometimes coconut oil causes diarrhea for them. So, if you're huh. prone to diarrhea and you're fine, you have a lot of coconut oil. Just be careful. Um, I, I don't think it's for everybody, but yeah. I've just had enough patients say that to me that it just kind of sticks in my head. And even, like, some patients make uh, suppositories with their cannabis, like, little blends they can insert vaginally or interrectally. And some of the Crohn's and colitis patients find that when they make suppositories with coconut oil, um, they don't respond as well. So, huh. anyway. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And with the vitamin D, with it being so important overall health, why do you think it is that um, Health Canada has such a... Uh, a small limit on the amount of vitamin D that you can purchase in a capsule? Yeah, that's a good question. And so vitamin D, um, that's what I worked on for my PhD. And some of my work actually showed that really high levels of vitamin D um, can suppress the immune response. And again, this was in animal experiments. So the experiments that were done, we were using very, very high doses. Uh, so taking this as a human would be hard to get these doses yeah. with traditional supplements. Um, this would be more of a concern for people who are taking, like either getting injections with the hormonal form, which is which can be done, or or taking like really really high levels and also getting a lot of sunlight and maybe getting too much vitamin D. But anyway, what our work showed is that very very high levels of vitamin D. Um, could suppress certain parts of the immune response. And if you were to get an infection, this could cause some issues. Hmm. That being said, I'm a huge proponent of vitamin D, and most people do not get enough. And yeah. levels of up to 50,000 international units in humans has been shown to be safe um, for up to a year anyway. How, so, how much? 250,000? <laughs> I think 500,000, like, or sorry, 50,000 or 500,000. I'll, I'll double check what the exact number is. Oh, wow. That's a lot. But yeah, very, they were taking them, like, as a as a medicine to target yeah. inflammation. Um, I, I wouldn't recommend people take that high amount. Um, personally, yeah. I take uh, about 5,000 a day. Yeah, I, yeah, I take, like, 6,000 a day. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. And... Um, and the thing with vitamin D, if you have gut disorders, is vitamin D is complicated. It needs to get converted to 
multiple forms before it becomes activated. And if you don't have the right enzymes or parts of your gut aren't functioning properly, you might not get um, the hormonal form that actually targets your immune cells. There are certain drops you can take sublingually, like under your tongue. Yeah. But even what some people do is they you can purchase a UVB lamp, so a narrow band um, ultraviolet B radiation is used for patients with uh, psoriasis to help with their vitamin D levels. And it's also been shown in clinical trials to suppress uh, certain immune cells called Th17 immune cells that also play a role in other inflammatory conditions. So I think there's going to be some interesting work coming out in the future about uh, vitamin D for the immune system and not just with oral supplements, but also targeting our natural vitamin D system in our body with hmm. uh, ultraviolet B radiation. So, oh, wow. That should be interesting yeah. to follow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we can follow up on that at some point, but... Yeah. That's, that's pretty should. interesting. Huh. Well, I think it's about time I wrap this up. It's been <laughs> so good catching up with you and just being a sponge here and learning and learning about everything that's gone on and, you know, kind of the path to where you are now and, you know, your new hat as a entrepreneur. I love it. Um, yeah, not not enough good I can say about um, catching up with you today, girls. So thank you so much for agreeing to do my podcast. And, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and if, I mean, let's uh, let's chat some more in the future. This was fun. That was it for episode five, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying these podcasts, share them with a friend, follow us, subscribe. And if you're on Twitter, tweet us at BeUnfuckWithable and find us on Instagram at Becoming underscore UnfuckWithable. That's it for now. See you guys on episode six. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Becoming UnfuckWithable. If you believe you're unfuckwithable, go ahead and share this podcast.